Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. The challenge of trying to describe something that someone has never, ever seen. Let's, let's choose an example. Just make it very, very simple. Do you, if you have a pet, a dog or a cat, imagine trying to explain that f- dog or cat to someone who has never seen a dog or a cat. How would you do it? By just using words, how could you make come to life something that no one has ever seen, something that you are very familiar with, but also something that the majority of this person had never, ever seen? Where would you start? Would you say that your dog had a lot of hair? Long hair, short hair, no hair? Would you say that your dog was tall or your dog was short? Would you say that your dog's temperament, was it hyper or was it relaxed? And then try to tell that person that this pet, this dog or cat, is not like all the other dogs and cats. We are faced with challenges as, of human beings of describing to other people something that other people have never, ever seen. Do you remember our science class? Do you remember perhaps seeing this image in science class? It's a model of an atom. And in that, you'll notice that there are both protons and neutrons, and circling that, there are electrons. Now, having seen this image, all of you are now qualified to discuss atoms. You know now what atoms are. And if you saw one, you would recognize it. True? No. All this is is just an image. It is a model to describe something that we believe exists, we even know exists, but the majority of us will never actually see. That's why we use models. Models help us Describe, give perspective to something that the majority of people have never seen. The same thing applies when it comes to God. Have you ever seen God? If you read the Bible, there are places in the Old Testament where it says that God appeared to Moses... And he kind of 
kid Moses so he would be able to continue to live once he saw God's from the back. But did you notice that in the Bible it doesn't describe what Moses saw? That when it does describe God, God is seen as glory, God is seen as fire, God is seen as light, God is seen as that which cannot be comprehended, and ultimately, it's really hard to put God, a description of God, into words. So the best that we can do, the best that we can do, is use models. Use ideas of what God is. But the mistake is as soon as we take these models of what God might be and make those reality, we got a problem. We're going to be looking at models for God up on the screen. You'll notice that there are four of them. And we're going to leave this slide up and we're going to walk through each and every one to show that each of these describe how people perceive that which has never been seen, God. Now, there are some people that believe, well, we know what God is. All you have to do is read the Bible. But then the question arises is what we read in the Bible, is it truly a revelation from God or is it human Beings attempt to try to understand God. The predominant view in Christianity until the period of the Enlightenment, about the 1800s, was what we call classic theism. It's the one all the way on the left-hand side of the screen. And if you'll notice, there is a distinction between God and the universe. God is up here, and the universe is down here. God is seen as being transcendent. God is above the universe. But occasionally, God will intervene into the universe, or into our world, or into your life. This is seen as an inbreaking. There is a huge distinction in this view between the natural, down here, and the supernatural, out here. And how we experience God is different. The ideal model that was used by the ancients, and we still refer to it today, is the model that God is the king. When you think about that model, it fits in perfectly with that image we see right there. In the text that was read from us from Psalm, it has this imagery that God is the king. Now remember, the king rules over his people. He is separate. He is distinct from his people. Now, a good king is concerned about the well-being of his people. He will govern in a way that will make sure those people are okay. That's his job. But there's a distinction between the king and the masses. You wouldn't 
call up the palace and say, um, could I speak with the king, please? Uh, no, he's busy right now. Well, we would like to invite him over Friday evening for supper. Just doesn't happen. And there's this fine balance between believing that the king is interested in you and your well-being versus who the king really is. This is the dominant view that we continue even today to see in Christianity. The hymns that we read will talk about God as being a king. And it's built on this distinction with a heavy emphasis upon God being transcendent. God is up there. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're recognizing this model. Our Father, which, by the way, is very close in the imagery of king in the ancient days. You were the king of the house. You were the king of your home. So the imagery is there. Think about, again, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, join me on the next phrase, who art in heaven. Distinct. He's not a part of our world. Now, yes, he might intervene occasionally in our world, but God is in heaven. Every time we pray that prayer, we're recognizing this model. Now, the question, again, is how accurate is this model when it comes to the reality of God? Well, there's some individuals who said, nah. This idea of God intervening in our world, of God being able to step in, violate the laws of nature, that you pray to God and God up there somehow will intervene in your life and make sure that you get that car that you want and it's the payments that you can afford and the interest rate that makes sure that you can afford those payments. There are people that, when it comes to God, they're going, no, that, that, that doesn't work. And that created the model that we talked about last week, and that is deism. If you notice and compare the two, they're very similar. In deism, God is seen as out there, up there, and then down here is the universe. The difference, however, between theism and deism is that in theism, God will intervene. Deism says that God is the ultimate force, the energy that began our universe. That's why you see in this image the Big Bang God does not intervene in our world, according to the deist position. That model, God creates, God establishes the laws in which the universe will, will run and take care of itself, and God steps back and says, did a pretty good job, didn't I? Now, enjoy it. That's this view of God. These two views of God focus on the transcendence of God. The universe is here, God is up here. And this has such theological implications. 
that which is holy up here. That which is sinful down here. Occasionally, a person or a place or things might become holy. But naturally, the universe, the world, no. That's why there's this hope that someday the world will be destroyed and then recreated. But then there were individuals who said, this idea of God doesn't work. First, theism, they don't believe, ties into what we know now about the universe, what science tells us. The deist view, they said, well, if God is up there in heaven like this, what value is God to us? So there were individuals who came up with another model. And that model is called pantheism. And the easiest way to remember this one is that the word pantheism actually comes from the Greek. The word pan is a preposition in Greek. It means all. If you take that and put it before a noun, theist, or from the Greek, theos, God, then pantheism expresses the idea that all is in God. God is not seen as distinct. God is not seen as up here. God is in everything. God is in the pew that you're sitting in. God is in the person sitting next to you. In fact, God is the person. You are God. All of nature is God. God and the universe are so intertwined that you can't separate them. So instead of God being up here all the time, God now is one with all of creation, with all of nature. Well, there were some people that didn't like this model. And one of the reasons is, who or what do you worship? Should we come to church and pray to the window because the glass is God? Or... Huh? Do you want me to be your God? Now, you can be my sub-gods, but I'll be the God. And then, how does, how does that play out in our day-to-day -day lives? So again, if one extreme is deism, saying God is up here and doesn't have anything to do with our world, the other view says that God is in all of this, and you can't tell the difference between what is and isn't God, because everything is God. And then there was these individuals who came along and said, you know what, this model mm, doesn't work anymore for us. There's got to be a better way of understanding 
So they came up with another model. Isn't this fascinating? All these different models are trying to explain something that we as human beings have never seen. If someone tells you that they've seen God, but the models try to make sense of that. One that I wouldn't even talk about was pandeism. That God is in everything, but God doesn't do anything while God is in it. But the idea in that fourth model is described as panentheism. So take pantheism, notice the model, God, universe, all in one. Panentheism, there's this big circle, right? And in that circle is God and the universe. They're distinct, but they all belong to the same circle. Panentheism, again, goes back to ideas in Greek. Pan means all. The word in means literally in, in English. So the literal meaning of panentheism is that all is, you can finish it, in God. Now flip it. God is in all. So the idea being is that God is not way up here somehow. God, like pantheism, is in everything, but God, again, look at the image, is beyond that. God isn't limited to that. So they were able to try to create this idea that God is up here still, but God is also down here still all the time. Panentheism. All of these are different models. One extreme, theism, deism. The other extreme, pantheism. Panentheism ends right up in the middle. This week I was going to preach on panentheism. And I realized why I didn't study theology in graduate school. Instead, I studied biblical studies because that made I could grasp theology to me was, was too abstract so when I was reading this week about panentheism I, I'm going to confess to you I got confused it, it, it didn't make sense that God is in everything and everything is in God and yet they are distinct from each other it just doesn't make sense to me. I can hear the words, but to really drill down and try to figure out what does that mean and what difference does it make in my life? What does this model tell me not only about God, but what does it tell me about humanity? What does it tell me about our past? What does it tell me about our future? I got so confused. And then I realized 
that all these are are just models. It's us as human beings trying to understand something that is beyond us. It's our effort to describe a dog or a cat to someone who's never seen one. It's our effort to explain an idea that we've never seen. And so about Thursday, I paused and asked myself a question. Why is God so vague? If God really wanted us to understand God, why didn't God make it clear? Now, some people will tell you they did. Not only do you have the Bible, but in the LDS, in the Mormon church, an angel tells Joseph Smith, in the Seventh-day Adventist church, Ellen White is spoken to by angels and has a revelation. But if we're really honest with it, we still are left in a very hazy idea of what God is. So again, my, my question that I ask myself is, why? Why not more clarity? Does God care what we believe about God? Does it matter which model I follow? Is my salvation, is my future, is my present somehow tied to getting the right model? Yes and no. Because whatever model you choose to believe will impact your life. But there's one model up there that Albert Einstein came up with that I found, at least at this point in my life, resonates very well. Notice the above quote. Try and penetrate with our limited means the secrets of nature, and you will find that behind all the discernible concatenations, which has the idea of being interconnections, that behind all the discernible connections of events and things, there remains something subtle, intangible, and inexplicable. Veneration, reverence, respect for this force beyond anything that we can comprehend 
Einstein says, is my religion. Einstein would tell us, you know, all of those models you have up there, that's wonderful. <laughs> but beyond all of that, the indiscernible, the inexplicable is God. And that is my religion. My religion isn't limited to being a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Christian, Jewish. No. Einstein would say that my religion is beyond all of that. Okay. Two really important words that we need to ask right now. We need to say them. Ready? So what? So what? You know, one of the beauties of com spiritual communities is we're all alike those dogs and cats. We're all different. In our space right now, there are individuals who are highly attuned to the mystic, to the numinous. For them, God is something that is to be experienced. They experience God in nature. They experience God in relationships. They experience God in music. They experience God in a wide variety of ways. I think those people have a gift that I don't have. I have talked to people who have told me about their experience with God. And I can't doubt it. Because that is their reality. That is true to them. And who am I to tell them the wrong? I also have had similar circumstances, similar experiences, but in my opinion, it had nothing to do with God. Who was right? Who was wrong? Does it matter? So what? The beauty is each and every one of us has our own unique way of either understanding or experiencing God. Some of you might be very comfortable with just one model. Some of you may find yourself moving from model to model to model and back to that model. Some of you may experience God. Others of you may just say, 
I don't know about God. That's why a spiritual community is so important. Because hopefully, once worship is over, and you've had to sit and listen to one person go on and on and on, Maybe, just maybe, you heard something that provoked your thoughts, that provoked your memory to recall a particular experience. And you might be comfortable sharing that with someone else. That, to me, is why we have coffee hour. Yes, we need coffee hour so we can come together and get to know each other. And to get to know each other, folks, we got to talk about the surface things. We got to develop trust with each other. And at some point, however, we move into an area where we share with each other our ideas and our experience of God. Unfortunately, you have a minister who isn't going to give you the answer. Because honestly, I don't think there is one. But there is a answer for you. And someday, I hope, you will share it with me and share it with others. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.